Morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? You know, I was thinking as Barb was up here and just talking about the uh, kind of the beachfront property deal and how this morning I was in my office in the other room and uh, Paul was out and he, he was uh, working around here and kind of blowing all the weeds, uh, all of the leaves and everything off the sidewalks. Then he came into my office and he said, I think we have a problem. I think we have a leak in the janitor's closet. So we went into the janitor's closet over here and sure enough, just water is pouring, pouring down off the ceiling in the janitor's closet. And I was thinking, yeah, we, we, uh, we're going to have beachfront property pretty quick here, whether we want to or not. But uh, anyway, and, and Paul and I looked at that and tried to figure out what was going on, but water was just pouring down. I didn't know it was an air conditioning unit or a pipe had broken or something. And then Matt came in, another guy in our church, and Matt came by and he looked in there and he was like, no, no, right here, that's, uh, there's just a leak over here and it's shooting. And he knew exactly, and he turned all, everything off that needed to be turned off. And I thought, you know... It's a different thing when, uh, when I'm trying to look at something and I can't figure it out and it's right in front of me, not all that, but somebody that actually knows what they're doing can look at something in a situation and immediately figure out how, how to solve that problem. You know, today we're talking about grace, the grace of God, and I can try to figure out my life and what I think I'm supposed to be doing or whatever, but God knows exactly what I need to be doing. And God is the one that like walks into life and says, let me just explain grace to you. Let me just teach you about what grace is all about. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about grace. As I, as I thought about this talk this morning, I also thought how, um, uh, you know, there are taglines that go with products. There are little kind of catchy phrases that come along with, uh, you know, companies and products. So I'm going to throw a few up on the board and have you help me by calling out where do these particular taglines come from. So one at a time, we're going to bring them up. So here we go. Here's the first, kind of small, but just do it. Where is that from? That's Nike, right? Just do it. What's What's the next one? Think different. There you go. Think different is from Apple. Right? How many got that one right? Okay, think different. That's Apple. Okay, next one. Here's the next one. I'm loving it. McDonald's. Okay, all right. What's the next one? Can you hear me now? Good? Verizon. Verizon. All right. This one here. Because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. We got that one, ladies? L'Oreal. Because you're worth it. Men, you probably need to know that. But anyway, all right, there you go. Next one. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Be great to toss those into the crowd right now, but there you go. Okay, next one. There are some things money can't buy for everything else there's. MasterCard, right, okay. All right. Ding, you're now free to move about the country. Southwest, Southwest, okay. All right, got those? Um, there are like eight of those. How many people like got all eight of those? Probably most of us got at least six of those, I would bet. I bet most of us know those because taglines are what? Taglines are like kind of catchy phrases, and the purpose of a tagline is so it's something easy, quick, we can grab onto it, it's advertised all the time. We're able to like put it into our memory, that's what they're hoping, is like put it into our memory so that when we're out to buy something or we're thinking about something, that comes to the forefront of our thinking. That's what a tagline is. It's something to help us remember their product or their idea or whatever. That's a tagline. 
I was reminded that um, some years ago when I graduated from college, way back then, and I was about to head off to graduate school, and I was, I was leaving my hometown, moving to Southern California to go to graduate school. And that summer, after I graduated from college, right as I was graduating from college, I met Jean, who's now my wife, but I met Jean, and then I spent the summer doing stuff together and all that kind of thing, hadn't known each other all that long, but then I went off to graduate school, and she was still living in Northern California, and I was in Southern California, and where I went to graduate school, I had a mailbox, and, uh, and back in the day, back in the day, there wasn't like a phone that she was connected to your body parts. You know what I'm talking about? Like back when I grew up, there was like in my house, we actually had two phones, which was a little uncommon. We had one upstairs and one downstairs. But most people had a phone that was actually attached to the building in some way. And there were these like cubicle things out and about around town, if you could find them. And they were like phone booths that you could actually go in unless Superman was in there. You could go in there and you'd make a phone call. Remember those kinds of things around town? Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, it was after the stagecoaches and everything. But there were these phone booths around town. And, and you didn't have it like an instant opportunity to just pull it out of your pocket and talk whenever you wanted to. And if you had a phone in your house, some, some areas back then for a while, didn't have it in my house, but back there a little bit, you know, you could get on the phone, you'd be on a party line, and you could listen into your neighbors and their conversations and what was going on. We've come a long way from that time. But so when I was in graduate school, I didn't have a phone connected to my body. We can, we can, I could call and talk with Jean every once in a while, but it wasn't, couldn't do that all the time. But Jean did this amazing thing, and I had this mailbox on campus, and I began to get letters from Jean. And I would get a letter from Jean almost every single day. Amazing. I'd go to my mailbox and Jean would have written me a letter or a note almost every day. And I kept a lot of those letters, not all of them, but I kept a lot of those letters. I have them in a box. And when I would look at those letters, man, they were, they were amazing to me. They were really, really vital to building my relationship with Jean. Incredible. They're a box of love letters. They were love letters that built our relationship together. In the beginning of every single one of the Apostle Paul's letters to churches, he uses this basic phrase. He says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single letter that's in there, Every single letter to a church, Paul says this, grace and peace to you from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a tagline for Paul. He's not just wanting them to catch that catchy phrase. No, there's meaning and purpose behind that. He's trying to remind them of the power of God's character and how God wants to connect who he is with who we are. It is the grace and peace of God that Paul wants us to get. He wants us not to miss that. It's in every letter, it's for every church, and it's for every believing person in every church. And you know what? It's for you and it's for me. Grace and peace, that's God's character, is coming your way. I'm praying that blessing into your life, that you catch the grace and peace of God. That's his nature. 
He's for you. That's why Paul chooses that. He reminds us of the essentials of who God is in relationship to who we are in Christ. Our lives need to be absorbed by those concepts. We need to absorb that idea that grace is for us. So tell me, who are you and what are you good at? I don't know about you, but I know about God and I know what God's good at. God is good at grace. God is good at grace. When it comes to grace and how you and I measure up to it, I can't tell you. How are we doing living with grace? I can't tell you. But I want to talk today about a couple of personal questions regarding grace and how it connects to your life and to mine. So here we go. If you're following along with your notes this morning, there are three things that I'm going to mention to them, them to you. Here's the first one. Am I good at accepting God's grace? That's the first one. Am I good at accepting God's grace? Paul wasn't about meaningless salutations. When I received uh, one of Gene's letters, and it ended with an expression of love, I savored that. I took it in. I reread it. I thought about it. I drew that into my life. Those words were life and power and care and compassion for me. Deep meaning in those notes that were written to me. I would feel that. It would draw me closer to Gene. I didn't brush it off. It wasn't boring to me. I didn't think, oh, oh that's just something Gene says. No, I didn't treat it that way at all. Not at all. No, no, these are more than words. They're connectors to the core of a relationship. It's the same with the Apostle Paul. He wanted to make sure that each community, each person in that community was connected to Christ and reminded that when grace and peace, as he passes it to them, is what God's core value and values are for people. God's grace and peace. That's the essence of our relationship with God. It's based on God's grace and peace for us, for who He is, His unmitigated grace for us. That's why grace is so important. What does it have to do with us? There are many attributes of God, some that we may shy away from, some that we may be a little fearful of God. We may think, I, I really don't want to get involved with some of those attributes of God. Those are too strong. They're too powerful. I'd rather kind of avoid them a little bit. I love what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. You might want to circle that in your notes, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You might underline that, in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Through Jesus, says Paul, we have an introduction into this grace of God. The word he uses here for gained access is a word 
prosagoge, and, and it has two word pictures with it. And the first word picture with that is this. It is that of ushering someone into the presence of royalty. To gain access is to be ushered into the presence of royalty. When it comes to worship, it's talking about moving us into the presence of God in worship. We have gained access. We're, we're led into the presence of God through God's grace. It's to approach God in worship. Grace opens the door for us into the presence of God. The second word picture is this. It's the picture of, of uh, the place where uh, ships come into, into harbor or into a safe haven. As long as we try to depend on our own efforts, we're tossed about by the storms of life, aren't we? We're tossed all over the place. We're threatened, we're overwhelmed at times. But now in Christ, we have reached the the safe haven of God's presence, God's grace. We know that there is a place of calm when we depend on that grace. That we can't do for ourselves, God does for us. That's grace. So how are you doing with accepting that grace in your life? Well, here's the second thing. Am I good at living in God's grace? Tell me, who are you and what are you good at? Some years ago, I took a mission team, was with a mission team of people from a church. We went to South Africa. We were working in a township with a church there. And it was full of people, and it wasn't necessarily so much what we could teach this group of people, but how we could interact with them and learn from each other. But there were some things and some opportunities for share, sharing of ideas and thoughts and development. And I had one particular task, and one of the tasks that I had was I gathered around me about five or six young men that were from the ages of about 17 to about 20. And we sat in a circle, just around chairs in a circle, and we're just talking, and I'm trying to get to know them. And I would say to them, well, who are you? Tell me about who you are. What are you good at? What are, who are you? What are you about? And I said, you know what? Let's do this. And I said, let's just take one person at a time, and that person will be quiet. And the rest of you, you just tell me about that person. Tell me about their character. It was amazing. They would say things like, oh, this person is like one of the funniest people. He's just great to be around. This person over here, they're encouraging everyone. If there are old people, this person always seems to find their way there to try to help them. If there's a need over here with children, this person come, comes alongside of those kids. Or they're always looking out for what other people need. They're trying to find out what they can do to help in a situation. And on and on it went, depending on who that person was in that circle. What did that do for those people? Boy, just to hear those kinds of things. This is who you are. This is how we see you. This is how we've experienced your life. Totally building up those other people. Wow, what a thing to have people in your life that are telling you, this is who you are, this is what you're good at, and to be able to do that for other people. Well, that is part of what we do here as a church. We need to be about that business of affirming other people and speaking into their lives and having people speak into our lives. That's learning about the grace of God and how God is shaping our character to become more and more like Him. 
I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, and then 11 through 13. It reads as follows. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And then further on in verse 11, we have spoken freely to you. Listen to this. This is great. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. That's the church he's writing to. We have spoken to you freely and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. What's going on here? Paul is saying, we're we're coming to you, Corinthians. We're opening up our lives to you. We're sharing with you. We're, We're pouring into you. We're reminding you of the grace of God. We're teaching you. We're connecting with you, but but we're not getting anything back. So as a dad speaking to my kids, I'd say, hey, open your heart up. Connect with us. Don't do that. That's a reciprocal thing. Grace is reciprocal. God pours grace and peace into our life. It's for us to pour that grace and peace back onto God and to people around us. Just like the Corinthians, Paul would say, hey, open your heart up. Open your heart up. As a fair exchange, Paul says, open wide your hearts also. A graceful Christ follower is a heart-wide-open person. A graceful Christ follower is a heart-wide-open person. Hmm. About eight years ago, we bought our house outside of Sacramento a ways, and it's in kind of a little town called Loomis, and not many people live in Loomis. It's a little more kind of country-ish, kind of, sort of. And I grew up like in the city, so I don't know anything about stuff like this, but when we got our house, it's like, well, we're not really attached to the water anywhere that's on a street or anything like that. We're like, we got like a well that like water comes up out of the ground. And then we have like a septic tank, which I wasn't exactly sure what that was, but you learn about that pretty quickly when it's not functioning right. Anyway, so we had stuff like that going. Kind of like this morning, I'm like, something's wrong. Anyway, but anyway, so we had like stuff like that. And I realized with our, my, uh, the property that we had, you know, I couldn't use my push mower to get around. So I was going to need to get a riding mower to be able to keep weeds cut down and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, well, okay. I'm not, like, going to go out and spend a ton of money. I'll just find, like, a used, like, mower. Somehow I'll find something so I don't have to spend a ton of money buying a riding mower. And so I started thinking about that, and I got in conversation with my next-door neighbor, who at that time had kind of an older farmhouse and a barn and stuff like that. I was talking to him, and he goes, you know, I think I've got an old riding mower in the barn. You know, he had a newer one. 
And so I went, okay. So he goes, I, I think it might work. And so we went back, and sure enough, we dug through stuff in his barn and threw stuff off of it. And here was this old riding mower. I thought, hey, score. This is great. 50 bucks. Better than like 1500 I mean, so like 50 bucks. I'm feeling pretty good about the mower. So we get the mower out. Been sitting there for a while, obviously, because he has a new mower. There's a reason why he has a new mower. Anyway, so I'm like, but I'm putting this together. So we get the mower out. It's got a dead battery, right? I mean, it's been sitting there for years. Anyway, we dust it off, and so we get it started. And you know, when you start up like a dead battery, you can run it around, but you better not stop it, right? Because the battery's still dead, right? Okay. So, we, I get it. The, okay, so it can run. We know that. I can drive it around a little bit. Dead battery. Then it has like, a mower doesn't have a lot of parts in it. Okay, there's not a lot. It's not super complicated. But it has a belt. It has like a one drive belt that probably could fit all the way around this room. I mean, it's this long, giant belt that wraps all the way around all these pulleys and systems underneath the mower. I didn't have one of those that had rotted out probably years ago, so I didn't, didn't have that part. And there, you know, there's a couple things wrong, and, and then it didn't have a blade. So, I mean, it didn't have a, a blade. So, I've got a riding mower that doesn't start, and it really doesn't function because none of the parts are connected. And then even if it did, it doesn't have a blade. So, there are some basic issues here. So when you think about it, you go, well, grace can be that way. This was like a, a mower that needed a ton of grace, right? And, and the mower is like, well, it has to be connected to a power source. It has to be a viable power source. I mean, grace is connecting us to God as our power source. That's like, that's, you're not going anywhere without the power source. And then the mechanism or the way that grace should function in our life needs to be what? It needs to be connected up so that it will actually function it was as it was designed to function. Grace needs to be able to move through the process of our life. It can't be disconnected or cut. You can't cut the belt and have it work properly. And then, and then there's a purpose why you have a riding mower. You have a riding mower so you can actually cut the lawn. There's a purpose attached to it. And that's, that's the blade. That is the purpose is we have to live out the purposes of grace. And if we, if we don't have that purpose in our head as to what grace is about, we're not going to be very effective, are we? We need all of those things. Connection to the power source. A strong power supply. The internal mechanism of grace has to be functioning in our life, and we have to know the purpose as to what grace is about in our life. All of those things. God's purpose for our life. Wow. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is one of my favorite concepts in Scripture. In some ways, it can be very humbling. It can be very humbling. But I love the fact that the Apostle Paul is the one that uses this because he says, 
my power is made, God's power is made perfect in my weaknesses. So I boast about my weaknesses. Now, he's not denigrating himself like I have no value, I'm a totally weakling, I'm no good. For, no, he's not saying that. He's saying that God is lifted up and empowered even in my weaknesses. So I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because that's when God's empowered. That's a great thing to know is that like even in your weaknesses and my weaknesses, when we admit those things and allow God's power to come, God overwhelms those weaknesses and actually does something significant. You may feel like you're not all that significant. God says, no, 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 no. I can produce many things in your life because I'm the powerful one. I'm the one. Grace is one of those wonderful states of being that we just want to bask in. We want to relish in God's grace. We want to absorb God's grace. We want the words of grace, the thoughts of grace, the sense of grace and the presence of God in His grace to be alive in our life? Are you experiencing living in that grace? Here's the third thing. Am I good at living out grace? Am I good at living out grace? But there's a problem with grace. Grace is not fair i got a problem with grace. It's not fair. It's fine when it comes to me, but it's not so objective when it comes to others. Grace doesn't make sense. Grace shows itself to be too unpredictable, too unmanageable, seems to lack the proper boundaries. It lands on the wrong people. It shows favor somewhat unmerited. Grace is short-sighted, nearsighted, far-sighted, and downright legally blind sometimes. When Jesus teaches and lives out grace, it's about workers getting paid a full day's wage when they just show up at the end of the day for a few minutes. It's, it's a grace that teaches from Jesus that robbers and thieves get off the hook. And liars and prostitutes get a fresh start, almost like they get a pass on their past. That's grace. And the list could go on and on and on. And the question is, what's up with grace? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It's just, it's not fair. So I thought a little bit about this. And I thought, you know what? Um, I need to give a grace quiz. First to myself, but... I need to give us a grace quiz. So here's my grace quiz for us today. Just kind of, I'm going to give you these things and you just answer them, okay, as I go through. See how you're doing. You don't have to answer them out loud but, or answer them for the person next to you. But anyway, just like, just hang in there. Here's the quiz. So do I cut people slack? Am I really a forgiving person? Do I hold grudges? Do I hope for the best for people? Is grace a core value in my life? Am I critical of others? Do I have to be right verbally? 
Do I keep score on others? Do I hope people get what's coming to them? Am I becoming more and more an agent of grace? The older I get, am I less anxious and less critical? Well, something like that. That's a quiz. And here's the deal. I'd bomb a grace quiz like that. Those are challenging things for me in my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, Luther, a German Lutheran pastor during the Second World War, imprisoned, and eventually was, was killed there. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote several great volumes and works about God and for the church. And in one of the, the books that I like the most that Bonhoeffer wrote is a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And within that, Bonhoeffer talks about cheap grace and costly grace and the difference of those things. And I'm just going to read just a short little couple sentence excerpt that talks about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Listen, listen to what Bonhoeffer says. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace is, is my words, cheap grace is grace without Jesus. Cheap grace is what we want to bestow and we want to live through and we want to have and well, we want to see grace. But that's not costly grace. Costly grace costs. It doesn't just cost us. Costly grace costs God. It is the gracious person and life of Jesus that we have when it comes to grace. And that's it. We have Jesus when it comes to grace, and that's it. And any thought or in inclusion of grace apart from Christ is not, it's not real grace. When you or I try to maneuver and manipulate grace to our own ends, we've missed it. When we withhold or live outside of true grace, we will only find disappointment. Our goal is not mindless, over-easy, cheap grace. No, it's just the opposite of that. It is the grace of God who saves and who loves and who draws people near. Who speaks into life. Who provides. And it is by living that grace that we become ourselves grace bearers. I'm told that the most difficult swimming stroke is the backstroke. I know you might be a swimmer, but one of the reasons the backstroke is difficult is because you have to learn what? You have to learn to lay back 
and you have to relax your body in such a way that as you relax, your body becomes buoyant because if you tense your body, you begin to sink. Most of the time, I'd get in the water and sink, right? I'm right at the bottom. But to do the backstroke, to get on your back or to float, you have to learn to float by relaxing, to allow your body to relax and let the water hold you up. And grace is about relaxing. It's about not being anxious. It's about allowing God to do what He does in your life. But you have to relax into God. We have to relax into God and allow God to be the one that holds us up. That's grace. Living a life of grace, being a grace bearer, is learning to let go and trust God. Who are you? And what are you good at? How are you doing with grace? For some of us, it's an awareness. It's, it's, a, it's a finding a calm and discovering the refreshing, restoring grace that God provides. It may be a, a new and fresh look at that or, a, or a, a fresh understanding that that's not where we've been, but we need to get back to that. We need to, in a sense, kind of turn our back and allow ourselves to drift and float with God. For some, it's finding God's grace that moves us beyond our shortcomings and realizes that God's grace isn't fair, and that's a good thing. For each and every one of us, God's grace isn't fair, and that's a good thing for us because all of us are in need of that grace, and none of us measure up. Some of us need to stop trying so much trying to do too much, and relaxing our anxious thoughts and worries to trust God more and ourselves less. Some of us, perhaps all of us, need grace to be what God designed it to be, a core value in our life. If we're aligned with Christ, then we're grace bearers. It's not an option. It is a core value of our spiritual character. God's grace is sufficient. I read this from uh, about Charles Spurgeon, longtime pastor years and years ago in England, and it said this. Charles Spurgeon rode home one night after a hard day's work, feeling exhausted and discouraged. And then he thought of the verse, my grace is sufficient for you. He said that immediately into his mind came the picture of a tiny fish in the mighty Thames River. Afraid of drinking too many pints of water lest the river be drained. Then the father of the Thames said to him, drink away little fish, my stream is sufficient for you. Then he thought of himself as a tiny mouse in a massive grain silo in Joseph's Egypt. And Joseph says to him, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. And finally, he thought of a man exercising, dreading that his breathing will exhaust the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the Creator's voice booms out of heaven, breathe away, O oh man. 
and fill your lungs, my atmosphere is sufficient for you. I hope you let yourself breathe in and feast on and bathe in the lavish riches of God's grace that are poured out for you every minute, the overwhelming riches of God's grace. God's grace is the I love you at the end of the love letter. God's grace is the is that I love you. I'm all for you. Not a tagline. Real purpose, real relationship. That's what God wants. God wants to just remind you that He is a gracious God. And He wants to pour into you who He is. Let's pray. God, thank You that You are a God of grace. A God that understands. It's not cheap grace. It is a costly grace. It is a love letter grace. It is a grace that finds you all sufficient when we're not. All powerful in our weaknesses. All purposeful in us becoming grace bearers because that's our character in you. God, would you just help us bathe in that today? that we're grace people. In Jesus' name, amen.